open with this quickly. Hold on. Just... <laughs> um, welcome everybody to let's move. Welcome everyone to your favorite soda based podcast. This is Beva Rage. Um, <laughs> welcome. So, um, if my voice is raspy, it's because I may be sick, or it may be allergies, or I may be dying of a certain virus we all know and love. I literally walked into my door from an airplane about um, 15 minutes ago, and I've been up since 4.30 a.m. Oh my lord, that is mad. But I do what I do for the love of the game. (laughs) (laughs) The game's killing you, man. You can't do it. I live by the game and I'll die by the game. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, today we're doing a little bit of a special episode. Um, When this airs, it will be our uh, two-year anniversary of this podcast, which is fucking bananas, because I, um, I just I want everyone to like. This is your homework. If I'm, I'm guessing most people haven't listened to the first episode of this show for good reason. Go check that. <laughs> go check that out because it's just like I think it's it's me, Kate, Tim. I can't remember. There was like five of us. I think Jess might have been there, just sitting there, like just talking about like how good. Uh, like, so the, the idea was like, we were going to talk about Shadow of the Colossus and we're just like, let's all sit around and talk about how good this game is for an hour and a half. Yeah, because that's what the people want. That's what the people want. And to be fair, that is probably what the people want for some stuff. Like, I mean, if I if I made like a if I made a podcast called The Witcher 3 is good and every week I had different people on to talk about how good The Witcher 3 was like that would get more listens than this podcast. That is true, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Re is back, of course. If you've been listening more than a few months, you will know her as my previous co-host. She's triumphantly returned for this anniversary special. I'm back. You can't get rid of me. And I'm, I'm on the 4th of July when we're recording this as well. So, very it is. busy. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, much like the American soldiers before her. Um <laughs> <clears throat> Oh, I guess this is this is sort of a, an adverse day for us because we we freed ourselves from you on this day. Yeah, and then you willingly uh, returned to me, uh, as will happen one day with America, I'm sure. I mean, at this point, I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> would that would that be a would that be a welcome relief at this point? Maybe. That's, that's a good point. Oh my god, or, we could do a whole episode about that. Like, would would it actually be better at this point? Yeah. Um. Also, um, let's see. Okay, I'm trying to find my voice. I'm I'm here. I've been sitting and just curled up in a little little airplane seat, smashed up against the wall, watching Stranger Things on my little phone. <laughs> That's uh, just obviously how the director's intended. Downing just downing bottles of water to try to stay alive. How um, was the flight? Let's open on that. How would you rate yeah. the flight out of ten um, as a gamer? <laughs> As a gamer, um, I would actually give these ones were not so bad. The ones on the way there were like probably like a four, I would say. Oh, that's a bit mean. Um, that. Yeah, there was actually I'm going to lower it to a three because on the flight from Charlotte to Austin, I, you know how we don't have any pilots here? Have you heard? Yeah, I've, it was the same thing here. Yeah, with with screwed. Yeah, so all the pilots left, and so they they like for some reason just herded everybody onto the plane and then like once we were all sat down they're like all right we're gonna look for some pilots now um (laughs) they couldn't afford to maybe maybe address that first before they get people on the plane find someone who can you know fly it that might be helpful 
So then they found they were, the the pilot was like, I'm going to be really transparent with you. I'm going to try to keep you guys in the loop about what's going on or the stewardess or whatever. And um, so uh, he was like, okay, we have found two pilots. They're coming in from Barbados. They're going to have to land and go through customs. And then they're coming right here. And that's like, Oh okay. my God. That All is right. Well, 20 minutes later, one of them showed up. He's like, all right, well, the other guy is striking now. So he left. So <laughs> we have to still find another one. So just hang out. And like, it took well over an hour before we got to like, actually start moving in the plane. Oh my God. That must have been so frustrating. Oh I, my I God. went, yeah, um, it was, it was not pleasant, but anyway, um, uh, but American airlines is back, baby. They, we fucking won. The people did it. We, we <laughs> you got to have your, you got your freedom maskless flight. So yeah, that's good. I was actually I, the only person on either flight wearing a mask, and oh ironically, God, really? I may be the one who has contracted COVID. That is depressing as hell. The, the one thing I will give the absolute <clears throat> hell island that I'm on is the fact that we still have to wear masks on flights. I think that's the only place you have to. So you could be maskless and coughing on each other like all over the airport, but as soon as you get <laughs> that, then you got a mask up. They have a special new mist where they like they like fucking face blasted all of us as we walked onto the plane. They're like, "This is gonna kill the virus," and I'm like, "What? What is this?" I thought I was being like gassed in like a zero escape situation. <laughs> they got like an anti-COVID ray gun. Why don't they just unleash that everywhere? They could. Yeah. Well, I, suppose, I suppose America did end COVID. So did we. So you know, no more COVID true. anymore, guys. Even though I had it like five fucking minutes ago. Yeah. Uh, uh, sorry. It looks like a third person has popped into the Google Doc sheet. Oh my god! It, they have anonymous moose. Interesting. Um, That's terrifying. Somebody just got a little curious about that link. Um, anyway, so, um, yeah, we'll, we'll try to get into this quickly. So what we're doing, this is a two part the first part, oh, there's the moose is gone. Um, <laughs> the first part, we're going to talk about the creation of the first video game and kind of a brief overview of what video games have kind of like turned into and how cool they are. And then the second half of it, which I'll record later is I've been collecting, um, little stories from a lot of people. So I've asked people to send in, um, just like a paragraph story about a time that a video game changed your life, uh, you know, impacted you in a significant way, formed a relationship with somebody important, et cetera. And like made it, made a difference to you and like made your life better. So um, yeah, I've, I've got a good few of those in, but I'm hoping to get a few more. Um, and also today is the 4th of July. So it is the day that Paul Revere crossed the big river <laughs> and <laughs> fought the British. <laughs> Um. So yeah, uh, Re, what have you been playing recently? Um. So I've been playing Sonic Origins. I just finished a review for that. Um, How are, are you? No, are you enjoying being able to move the camera around the main menu screen? That is amazing, isn't it? Um, it's amazing how I can play all of these games that I've already owned, except they delist them on Steam, so you can't buy them anymore. Very cool. Uh, jokes aside, very good collection. Not worth the amount of money that it is, but that's Sega for you. Um. But I'd recommend it. It's fun. Also, because uh, I'm going to Ireland tomorrow, I am bringing my Xbox Series S, which means I'm going to be playing a whole bunch of the Outer Wilds that I recently got into. And oh my lord, I don't know why I didn't play this game sooner. It is phenomenal. Um, it deserves every bit of praise it ever got. Um, if you haven't played the Outer Wilds yet, please, please play it. I'm begging you. It's on Game Pass. You have no excuse. Wow. Um, sorry, I wasn't saying wow to you. <laughs> I was saying <laughs> wow to a thing that popped up over on this end, which is somebody commenting a, a review 
This is on the Bethesda.net forums for Wolfenstein 2. Yeah. Um, hey, everyone. I'm a centrist liberal. And let me say that my first, <gasps> oh, Wolfen- <laughs> the first Wolfenstein is too damn hard and I can't get past the first level. The enemies won't listen to my reasoned discourse on why their ideology is flawed and just shoot me to death. I have a lot of weapons at my disposal, but killing the Nazis would make me as bad as them. Does anyone have links to the walkthrough that would allow me to keep the moral high ground? And, uh, <laughs> oh, I love yeah. that. That's perfect. Anyway, so how did, how did we end up here on that Wolfenstein thing? Let's back up <laughs> to the beginning of time. Um, okay. Just got dying. Sorry, I received a strange. Oh, do- done. Okay. My mom said she's been kayaking, so she was not able to answer the phone. That's cool. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm hope she had a good time. Yeah. All right. Let's get into this. So, um, Rhea, I don't know if you've heard the the show recently. We've sort of shifted to uh, the opening is a oh sorry the game that I'm playing is AI the Somnium Files Nirvana Initiative, which I'll be playing for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> Just decided it is amazing. It's better than the first one. It's probably going to be my game of the year. It is. It's weird because I didn't expect this because the um the first one was like had a few good jokes in it, but like it was largely not not a very funny game. I wouldn't have described it. Like every single line in this game is a joke, and like every one of them hits. It is probably the funniest game I've ever played, and it is very consistent. So, um, it was, you can, you can tell they spent a lot of money on this localization because like they're very specific jokes. Um, so nice work. All right. So, uh, re, we have a pitch meeting now. Ooh. So it begins by the guest, uh, taking the place of a, um, of, of a person of the person who created this product that we're going to talk about and pitching it to, oh. uh, we're, yeah, get into, so get into character it is mm-hmm. the year 1958, and you are a physicist named William Higginbotham. Nice. Okay. <laughs> okay. So what was happening in 1958? The Korean War, probably? Um, one of the wars. One of the wars was happening. So keep yourself in that mindset. Um, mm-hmm. So I am your, I'm going to be your lab assistant who is walking in as you have created the very first video game, and I would like for you to... Pitch me okay. on the concept of a video game in 1958. I don't think I could pitch you on the concept of a video game in 2022. So, um, but we'll see how this goes. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. Well, um, uh, you said you said you got something to show me. Um. Oh shit. <laughs> Literally. <don't know. laughs> oh. I can't. It's, it sounds I'm, like. I'm trying to like justify. I'm trying to justify 22, 23 years of playing video games and all of a sudden I can't do it. Um, okay, so what if... All right, my my loyal assistant. I need you to do sort of got, an American accent because this was in... Uh, but his guy sounds British. He sounds British. I mean, that's a British name. Okay. Um, What if we got the worst people known to man, the worst people uh, that you know, that your friends know, that everyone knows... The North Koreans? <laughs> Jesus Christ! Those toxic, those people just can't stand to be around. And we just gave them all the same hobby and the same identity, so we could just keep them away over there, occupied, um, and make them so passionate about the identity that they will always identify themselves, and we can just ignore them. I introduce uh, gamers and the well, video game. 
and the gamers are they play games they play these things called video games um well hold on now are they are they videos or games (laughs) it's both and it's genius because not only like the television when not only will it keep them so occupied that they'll be glued to their screens it also requires physical activity so they're even more uh, obsessed with it than they would be just watching a movie um, uh, maybe back then uh, talkies. I don't know what they called them. I'm on the Wikipedia page right now. Um, it looks like um, both Tim Burton and Michael Jackson have just been born in 1958. Okay. Now I guess they are babies, so maybe that doesn't help. I was about <laughs> um, to say I'm not really sure he popped off until at least a few years out the womb. Um, um, let me see if anyone did anyone die. Um, a guy named Tyrone Power. That's a good name. But anyway, That's a continue. Brilliant name. Fantastic name. Um, or, I'm just going to rest him. Let's pull one out for Tyrone while we're at it, my assistant. Uh, good old Tyrone. Okay. Um, May 30th, 1958. The bodies of unidentified United States soldiers killed in action during World War II and the Korean War are buried at the Tome of the Unknown. Oh, boy. Oh, wow. How do we tie that one in? Um, well, okay. that's, just, that's just the mindset we're all in right now. Well, you know what's better than war? Um, <clears throat> Pong. Let's, let's play Pong. Um, could that have prevented the Korean War? Um, that is something that's not discussed a lot. Um, yeah, it really- seems like... You, you. So you're suggesting that this thing called Pong, which, again, you haven't explained to me yet, <laughs> is you've, you've created something that would have ended the war without losing millions of lives. Um, well... I feel like the people that play these video games, as we're calling it, um, they might not be worth saving, um, but they mm. will still be alive. Uh, that's the main thing. Less death. Yeah, by the most strict biological definition, sure. Yeah, exactly. They they are breathing organisms, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you know, that's pretty good. You can't die while playing it, as far as I know. So it's already. Can I see? Can I see the thing? It looks like you just have a box here. Um, yeah, well, that's pretty much all it is right now. Interesting. Um, there is one video game, <laughs> but we'll make more one okay, day. Okay, can I... Right, so I have to come to your office and sit here at your desk to, to, to do this? Exactly that. Okay. Well, um, I don't see how this has a lot of commercial applicability. Well, I mean, like, if we put these in people's homes, it'd be a disaster. You know, we have to have it so they're all in one localized place, you know? That's true. And, uh... Much like, sorry, my cat is climbing on me. Um, <clears throat> in in the in the scene, in the scene, I have a cat climbing on me in this office. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, can we uh, can we both play it, or is it just you? Um, oh no, we both play it because you know then it's twice the distraction. You know, we can get all these terrible, terrible people who will call themselves gamers, um, and you know, it's very efficient. Keep them both occupied. They might want to kill each other after they play um but that's not my problem you know that's after they stop what do you think people would pay an extra amount of money for maybe a different colored ball um almost definitely you know there's a lot of opportunities here um you know we could sell a slightly improved version of this pong that i've created uh where maybe the ball moves a bit faster as well and we can get money uh with um off them through that very good. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and spend the next, um, I think, six years of my life here playing the video game and wasting away. Nice. See, that's what we're going for. That is what we're going for. The product already works. Um, 
Okay, I've just gotten an emergency weather alert. This is back in the real life. Um, uh, okay, it says we're going into a record high heat wave today. Oh, okay, perfect day for podcasting then. Yeah, I was going to say it's also a great day because a lot of people are outside doing barbecues and stuff. Oh my lord. Yeah, that's not, mm. that's not great. America we'll see how it does goes. not love itself that much, does it? Even America's like, pack mm. it in, we're not doing July 4th this year. Uh, we'll see. okay so um re has uh again once again woefully misinformed you uh the game that she's created is not called pong although that is a very common misconception um so the original yeah the original game uh which is called it's actually called tennis for two uh which was created in 1958 um so this is physicist william higginbotham which is kind of an insane name to have um created this at a at the Brookhaven National Laboratory open house. Um, basically, he worked at a physics lab, and they had an exhibit that people from the public could come and just kind of look at their stuff that they were working on. And uh, people were not super jazzed about it. They were not getting a lot of people to come and tour the physics lab. Weird. <laughs> um, and then uh, eventually... Uh, he uh, joined the uh, MIT Radiation Lab, um, and he worked on cathode ray tubes and uh, radar systems there. Then he moved to Los Alamos to work on electronics for a timing system in the atomic bomb. Oh, that's quite a jump. Oh, wow. Yeah, so the creator of video games also was fundamental in creating the atomic bomb. So the creator of video games is a war criminal for two reasons it happens. (laughs) Incredible stuff. Um, I should be less surprised. Um, (laughs) So anyway, in uh, 1948, like I said, he joined the Brookhaven National Laboratories group. Um, During that time, uh, a lot of people would come to tour the lab, but were mostly dissatisfied with what the lab had to offer as far as the exhibit. Um, He realized that static and non-interactive science exhibits sucked. And so (laughs) once he became the head of the lab's instrumentation division, he decided to change that. While reflecting on his creation, Higginbotham wrote, it might liven up the place to have a game people could play in which would convey the message that our scientific endeavors have relevance for society. Oh, God, was it destroyed humanity right there? <laughs> it's because of society. You heard it here. <laughs> um, so visitors who played Tennis for Two saw a two-dimensional side view of a tennis court. Um, I think you all are able to picture the thing I'm describing in your head. I've um, seen it before, yeah. It actually yeah. does not look half bad for the time. It's it honestly, it's, it's better than a couple of games I've played. Um, I'll tell you that. Okay, so <laughs> I'm not gonna name. I'm not gonna, and I'm not gonna name any names. <laughs> I was kind of waiting for you to do one. Oh shit! Uh, what's what's relevant to hate on now? Overwatch. Yeah, I was trying. We- to, I was like literally trying to think of like what is it that we the don't- gamers hate right now. <laughs> I mean, Overwatch Two. Uh, they always hate Battlefield, but I'm not clued up on that one. I think people stopped playing that one. Are, are you like shuffling around your microphone in a big metal bowl? It literally like just fell off the stand. That sounds like a good investment. All right. Yeah. Well, the, I haven't used this in so long. I'm having to hold it in front of the pop filter now. Yeah. I'm sorry for forcing you to talk to another human. Yeah. How dare you? Okay. So in Oct- in October, Brookhaven had the annual visitors' days, um, and he decided to set up an again an interactive exhibit which he called Tennis for Two. Um, so this ball is a brightly lit moving dot, and it uh, bounces back and forth across the screen, and you have a paddle on either side. 
and try to hit it back. Um, this game would, of course, later be remade. As an <clears throat> it was, uh, I say remade. There was no patent filed on this, and we'll get to it later, why that happened. But um, essentially, uh, Pong was created as the first home uh, entertainment, like home interactive entertainment, basically. So the first home video game was a remake of the first ever video game, which is actually pretty cool. Um, and that was in 1972, I believe. So um, I'm trying to think of what was happening in 1971, and then video games reached the home, and everything changed. Yeah, I've got to say, uh, as a Zoomer, like anything beyond 1995 doesn't really exist for me. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm not the best co-host for this one. What was going on back <coughs> then? I mean, that was Victorian times to me. There Why do you think I was alive in 1972? Well, I just feel like you probably have more knowledge on it. <laughs> I'm three years older than you. <laughs> Look, no. hundreds of visitors lined up for the chance to play tennis for two. Hagenbotham did not think his game would be the forerunner to an entire industry, um, obviously. Um, and so 50 years later, um, of course, that uh, industry accounts for $95 billion in sales in 2021 for video games. Um, I mean, let's weigh up like the whole Atom Bomb thing, which which like invention of his was more profitable. Um, what's the you know nuclear Armageddon <laughs> industry like? Um, to my knowledge... They haven't fired another one of those yet. Yeah. So you know what? Um, he, he kind of missed out on that one. You know, you can't yeah. win them all, William. You can't win them all. Um, I think the... um Actually, you know what I'm remembering is that there were two... He designed the timer thing for the atomic bomb. And I'm remembering that whole thing about the um, atomic bomb that was accidentally dropped in North Carolina in, like, a field. And oh, my God. What? The only oh, yeah. This is a real thing. I'll have to look it up again to see how big it would have been but like they they estimate about 30 million people would have been killed if the bomb had worked correctly but it was a, it didn't work correctly it was an accident um <laughs> but yeah it would, it would have blown basically like a giant hole in north carolina that feels like something that should be more common knowledge really yeah it seems like the government tried real hard to cover it up <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh wow um okay so just for reference, by the way, $95 billion in sales generated by video games in 2021. Um, just to get, just for a comparison, and I, I wanted to give them a little bit of an edge. Um, movies made about $45 billion in 2019, but when they still made movies. Um, so like basically half as much of money is being generated by movies, which is pretty crazy because I think a lot of people, especially old, old boomers, like, still think video games are like kind of a niche thing and like they're very much not no absolutely not um and half the time they didn't realize that they are playing video games in a sense you know usually on their phone um, yeah this is a candy crush <laughs> no exactly that yeah um it is wild to think that it is the most at least in terms of its success the most i believe i'm correct in saying the most dominant you know um most entertainment industry yeah. yeah exactly that but like in terms of its cultural relevance or even like i don't know kind of like how well it's marketing itself in terms of like conversations with normal people it absolutely is not there it's it's mental i mean think about gta 5 being one of if not the most uh profitable um pieces of entertainment ever uh it's not exactly something that like everyone you encounter has ever played 
insane. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I was a little bit interested and I don't know a lot about the physics here. I know maybe a tiny bit. Um, Rhi, what would you say your electric, uh, electric engineering background is? (laughs) Um, well, I struggled to get my mic set up today. So, you know, that's about it really. I'll let that speak for itself. All right. Um, so the brain of Tennis for Two is a small analog computer. Uh, the computer's const- instruction book described how to generate various curves on the cathode ray tube. So it used an oscilloscope, resistors, capacitors, and relays. So essentially, the idea is, in its purest form, this is what all video games are, right? Like, you basically have a program saying that when this input comes in, you move the light over from here to here. That's all it is. You took the um, words right out of my mouth. I was just about to say all that. Yeah, it's just this is a blot. This is some sort of blotch of light and color. And when you put an input in, it's going to change like this. Yeah, um, no, that hasn't changed a whole lot. Yeah, you you know what? We need where where are video games too? <laughs> well, William never really seemed to cash in on this whole like video game thing he created. I guess he thought like the <coughs> the the bombs were really going to pop off. Um, yeah, his bet's wrong. So, um, the first one was in 1958. The second, uh, so October the next year, so about a year later, Higginbotham released Tennis for Two Remastered <laughs> in higher, <laughs> in, in higher, yeah, in and Knuckles in a in a higher resolution with a larger screen. Oh, that's so um, funny. Is, we've we've been so shitting fucking... out unnecessary remasters since day one. Oh my day god, ten, one. Ten, ten, Tennis for two, like walk. So uh, the Last of Us is like bird. The, la- the Last of Us Part One could run. Oh my god! Um, so this is also hilarious. Also, the first DLC, <laughs> Day One, <laughs> they re- he released uh, he released uh, the the remaster version included a new option to make stronger or weaker gravity and also added new skins for the ball. Oh my god. It's, he really it's did bring a video game. He really is the father of video games. It's legitimately. Games. It's always been like this. It's always been like this. People be like, "Oh, I miss the good old days." Like, bitch, when? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Um, like the closest thing to a video game before this was like a hole punch machine at a bank. So, like, maybe that's what it is. Maybe yeah. The, back in the, the, I was a true gamer. You know. Yeah. They didn't. They did not make that easy. So, um, uh, let's see. So the, um, after two years, tennis for two was unfortunately retired. The oscilloscope and computer were taken for other uses and Higginbotham designed a new visitor's day display that showed cosmic rays passing through a spark chamber. This was wildly unpopular. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Higginbotham who had already patented 20 inventions did not think tennis for two was particularly innovative. Although he saw that the oh Brookhaven God. visitors liked the game, he had no idea how popular video games would become. So, yeah, That's but so funny. He literally just called it mid. That's so funny. <laughs> it's like a true gamer, though. It's like yeah. this is the only game. This is the only game this year, and he's like eh, mid. <laughs> oh, um, so funny. So, unfortunately, even if he had the foresight to patent the game the federal government would have owned the patent since it was created with materials at a government lab. Um, he had this to say later. It never occurred to me that I was doing anything very exciting. The long line of people I thought was not because this game was so great, but because all the rest of things were so dull. <laughs> <laughs> oh 
Oh, that's so funny. I love the lack of faith in, in video games. Like, yeah, nothing was going on back then. It's all they had to do was that bloody tennis. Um, there's no point pursuing this. Um, I love that. And that's so funny because that's like still how gaming uh, companies will operate. They'll be like, um, oh, everyone wants a Sly Cooper game? Fuck you. You're not getting a Sly Cooper game. You know, it's the same mentality. We've had that since the start as well. I love that. Fuck you. Here's Assassin's Creed again. <laughs> Exactly. And it, the equivalent back then, I guess, was like, if you want another atom bomb, I'll give you another atom bomb. Yeah. Um, well, mm, that's not good. <laughs> okay. Oh, sorry. I'm. My body is collapsing. Um, okay. That's my so, <laughs> so, Tennis or Two was pretty much forgotten for some time. In uh, 1964, Sanders Associates received the first patent for a video game. Uh, Magnavox then bought the patent and produced video game systems beginning in the early 1970s. Um, so competitors who wanted to break the Magnavox patent found out about Higginbotham's earlier video game, and he was called to testify, but the case was settled out of court. Uh, Higginbotham oh became- God. They literally called him to testify about being a gamer. That's incredible. <laughs> the oppression. He, he has to like literally stay on the, get on the stand and say, I am a gamer into the microphone for the record. <laughs> That's embarrassing. <laughs> you, you could not waterboard that out of me. Um... So Higginbotham became well known as the inventor of the video game after an article appeared in Creative Computing Magazine in 1982. Uh, until then, it was actually thought that Magnavox uh, had, as a company, had created the concept of video games um, because the tennis for two thing wasn't a widespread thing; it was just a very local thing in town. Mm-hmm. Um, but Higginbotham's main interest throughout most of his career was not video games, but nuclear armaments. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to see um, like an alternate reality where he's like, "No, nah, I'm gonna go all in on video games." Got a really good vibe, you know. And I just think like we would have had world peace. By I'm then. imagining a world where like just something like there was there was like one hitch in the timeline, and like that you you like fast forward to like 1942 in Nagasaki, and like they're just raining down copies of of The Witcher Three on the city. <laughs> oh, the good future that we missed out on. What went wrong? Meanwhile, na- meanwhile, in 2022, every young boy and girl has a mini nuclear bomb in their home. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so the early uh, history of the video game industry uh, had little structure. Video games quickly took off during the golden age from the late 70s to the early 80s, but the newfound industry was mainly composed of game developers with no business experience. This led to numerous companies forming simply to create clones of popular games to try to capitalize on the market. Well, uh, I'm so glad that's, that's changed. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but this is just like so reminiscent of how it is now. That's why you have all of these abuse stories coming from game industries because it's just like two guys in a basement going, "Yeah, let's the whole company." Um, There's two guys in a basement, and they're like, "We made Cuphead!" Like crawling out of the basement <laughs> after nine years. <laughs> Oh my god. And like you said, like the same thing with the whole like just everyone regurgitating the same shit. <laughs> like we've really moved forward as an industry, haven't we? We've really seen the potential oh of this medium. I like how people like to clown on like, oh, they're just like remastering games every five years. And it's like, well, you know, I don't know if you were around, but do you remember the early eighties where literally what they would do is release an entire console of one game? And then you would buy a new console with one game on it the next day. And also, you know, back in the day where every game was just a Tetris with different skin on it, you know, like... That's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, 
Uh, due to the loss of publishing control and the oversaturation of the market, the North American home video game market famously crashed in 1983, dropping from revenues of around $3 billion in 1983 to $100 million in 1985. That is a... Oh, wow. I never see how again. dramatic it is. Three billion, yeah, $3 billion to $100 million. That's essentially just going from being an industry to not being an industry anymore. Yeah. Like $100 million is just not even like a big player anymore. Yeah. Um, many North American game companies created in the years prior closed down. Japan's growing game is- industry was briefly shocked by this crash, but had the sufficient longevity to withstand the short-term effects. And our no one but our friend Nintendo helped to revitalize the industry with the release of Nintendo Entertainment System and Super Mario Brothers in 19- 1985. So um, I-, I think this is common knowledge at this point that like video games as an industry wouldn't exist without Nintendo. Yeah, and like actually, because uh, this is another interesting fact that a lot of people don't know is that the Nintendo seal of approval uh, does not mean it's like a quality great video game. It means it's a video game that will function when it turns on. That was its initial purpose, and it was um, to like restore consumer faith in video games after so many of them literally would just not execute if you turn them on. Um, that's the kind of thing that Nintendo had to get people back from. They had to convince people that video games, if you buy them, they will work as advertised. Um, and, I mean, it's incredible that they managed to turn that perception around so quickly. Yeah, that's true. There was also the whole thing where Nintendo became such a dominant force that they were in danger of losing their patent, like losing the company name, because the word Nintendo became completely synonymous with the word video game. And so there's actually a whole campaign Nintendo ran Because the court actually said, like, hey, you guys are, um, you know, you guys are losing your rights to the name Nintendo because (laughs) the word Nintendo literally just means video game. And so (laughs) Nintendo ran a whole campaign in North America um, about the differences between what a Nintendo was and what a video game was. And they put posters up all around. It was like a whole thing. They were in every magazine. Um, Let me find one such example, like. They literally did too much of a good job at what they were trying to do. I mean, I don't know, because how you managed to basically reclaim uh, the video game industry from absolute scraps, like from absolutely nothing. And I don't think people... Like, everyone blames E.T. um, for the video game crash, but if you look at the other games that were coming around at that time, it was not just that. You know, there were games that just absolutely... Like, they didn't even look like video games. I don't think they even probably functioned like video games. And Okay, here um, it is. Yeah. And that's probably why they just became synonymous video games. Video games was a, became a bad word, um, and they saved it. And that I means they just became synonymous with video games. So there's a giant ad here that we ran in a lot of magazines. Says there's no such thing as a Nintendo, and there's a picture of Mario, sort of gesturing wildly <laughs> into the sky. Um, there is the Nintendo Entertainment System. There's Nintendo Game Software, and there's Nintendo Power Magazine. But there is no such thing as a Nintendo. You see, Nintendo is an adjective, not a noun. It is a registered trademark that identifies the high-quality products marketed and licensed by Nintendo of America Incorporated. So please use our trademark carefully and never use it generically to describe all video game projects. We thank you and Mario thanks you. <laughs> Mario thanks you. <laughs> Mario oh, thanks so you. <laughs> oh, um, that's so funny. Yeah, it's it's the same thing. It's the thing that happened to Velcro, right? Velcro is the name of a company that made yeah. hook and loop tape, and then eventually they lost the rights to the name because. That is the name of the substance now. 
Um, um, it's, you know, everyone used to joke about in the 2000s about their mum calling every console the Nintendo. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, that, was, that actually that was happened. Th- and that was probably the last remnants of this because, I mean, my mum personally, like, she was born in 74, so she would have experienced video game crash. And she has told me about some of the absolute dire products she played pre-Nintendo. Um, she had this uh, console that had one fighting game, if we can call it that. I've seen pictures of it. It looks terrible. And it would take half an hour to load and often just crash when it did load. Um so because of that when she got a good console a nintendo um and that was the only one she had until um i was little and i started getting my own consoles like an xbox she would just call everything a nintendo so that shit was far reaching yeah that was a real thing we had too like my mom called all of our stuff nintendos but to be fair they were all nintendos yeah because Um, you are a nintendo show so that's i mean and you have been you were born i'm guessing i was there since day fucking one and we'll talk about this in part two but like my uh my little story is just going to be my, my very first video game which was pokemon blue um Aww. yeah i i played that game and i i beat it and like i've i've played that entirety of that game without ever seeing or hearing about another video game and was like is there more um <laughs> you know what i don't want to sidetrack too much but um i was actually talking to my mom about this today about how i did not realize full video games existed i thought there was just demo discs um <laughs> that's all i played for so many like years as a kid um but one of my first games was actually pokemon red as well so oh, that was pretty neat. Nice. yeah um okay so the industry remained a little more conservative following the 1983 crash and it formed around the concept of publisher developer dichotomies and then by the 2000s, leading the industry, uh, centralizing around low-risk AAA games and studios with large development budgets of at least $10 million. Whoa, so much. Um, it's crazy the amount of money that was needed to make a video game that, that changed in such a short amount of time. Like, it's like if it's like 1995 and you're like, we need to make a video game, like, we just need like $100,000 and we'll be able to pay everybody to do the entire thing. <laughs> and like... <laughs> You know, now it's like, okay, if you can get this AAA game out for $100 million, like, wow, congratulations, you're under budget. Yeah, I actually um, spoke about this when I was covering RuneScape's, I believe, 20th anniversary. Um, And I just kind of talked about how that's never going to happen again, because that was in uh, late 90s, early 2000s. And it was three brothers working in a kitchen with 10 uh, pounds and a dream. Like that was it, and they somehow <laughs> built a whole bloody MMO from their parents' kitchen, uh, maintained those servers, and only at a certain point of success needed other employees. And I just cannot see us ever having that anymore, at least for a game on that scale. Um, you yeah. know, I mean, look, look at how much went into. I compared it a lot to New Worlds and or New World, whatever it's called, and like, look at how much, you know. Amazon had to astroturf that into existence, you know? Like, look at yeah. how much they had to force us to care <laughs> about that one. And now they're still trying to force their players to care about it. Like, we're I just won't do it. Yeah, I'm not going to. Like, go away, Jeff Bezos. I don't care about your video games. But, like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, it's just, it's getting scarily inaccessible now. And I kind of get the vibe that if you're an indie developer, like, you're just going to be so reliant on, like, getting on Game Pass or just getting, I don't know, part of the ea original program like it just must be so hard now yeah and one thing to note which i hadn't really thought of is that like indie games didn't really exist before digital stores opened um they were they were around here and there but like it was very very difficult to create an independent game and put it on a cartridge and ship it out while remaining independent 
Oh god, um, yeah. Must have been like next to impossible, really. I guess. Like, yeah, really. Had, I guess you probably had studios pop up, um, and I guess they just had to pitch to publishers all the time. It must yeah. have been a nightmare. Oh yeah, no, it was. Uh, <laughs> don't you worry. It's kind of always um, sucked for indies, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's always been bad. Is the thing. <laughs> So anyway, I guess that's the end of it. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> it's Everything always, sucks. It's, it's every day, bro. It's every it day. It sucks from day one, and it sucks now. The first DLC was released in 1959. Think about that. <laughs> from a war criminal, might I add. <laughs> oh my god. Bear that in mind next time you're saying EA is the worst company in existence. Like it, They are not that bad compared to where we've come from. Can <laughs> you imagine? The craziest thing is that Higginbotham, like, even in retrospect, in, like, the 70s after video games became a thing, like, he just, like, didn't seem all that bothered by, like, not patenting it, like, when he thought of it. He was just like, yeah, I don't get it. What do <laughs> I don't understand why the kids aren't playing with nuclear weapons. Like, I love that. Oh, my God, he's so confused. That's, that's even better, actually. <laughs> he was, like, not, he was not a boomer, but he brought the boomer energy to that generation. He created um, video games and refuses to understand them. <laughs> What generation was that even? Was that like the greatest oh, generation or whatever? Not the silent generation, is it? That's probably a bit older. I think they were before that, yeah. yeah. I think the silent, yeah. Did they have the talkies here? I think they did. <laughs> it's everything, yeah, like, I think I think I like, have a, I have relatively a good understanding of what the world was like up till, I think, backwards until like 1983 because of Stranger Things. And then beyond <laughs> that, it's just like so a you're nostalgia you're just learning through nostalgia absolutely um all right so anyway thank you uh for joining us and we're going to be going on to the next episode or the, the the next part of this episode now i was thinking this might be fun as if uh re if we can think of like some sort of like um well for, first of all do you want to plug anything uh i do actually um so today, or not today, because it won't be today when you're listening to this, but on July 4th, I published a piece for The Gamer about um, some developers, uh, some contractors for Bioware who have unionized against keywords. Um, they have put up with a lot of bad working conditions, uh, allegedly, I should say for legal reasons, um, but it is well worth uh, reading about their story. That's amazing. That's on thegamer.com. Um, I think that's probably- The workers are grist for the mill. <laughs> Uh, also check out my Sonic Origins review on the game because why not uh, I had to play that fucking game all week so make it yeah. worth something <laughs> um, yeah so um, yeah well um, I was trying to think if there's like a game character that like um, transforms into another one and I was thinking if you could maybe yell some sort of a transformation catchphrase and then I could just have you turn into Alyssa and we just continue the episode oh that's a good idea that isn't it Oh yeah. So what's like a character that turns into another one? I'm thinking of like Zelda, but I don't think she's a catchphrase. Well, I don't um, think it's Shazam. That's the only thing that's coming to mind. Isn't that like a the the superhero guy? Yeah, that's that's all I've got. Yeah, I'm he's thinking of like. Is there a magical girl in like video games? There's a lack of magical girls now that I'm thinking about it. It is weird that there's not. Like, um, I don't know. Do you want to just do Sailor Moon? I actually have never watched Sailor Moon in my life. What the hell, man? I'm not even a real E girl. I'm sorry. I even I've seen, even I've seen some of Sailor Moon. Um, yeah, like I, I'm pretty sure like idolizing Sailor Moon is like a requirement three or four of being an E girl. So it is. I mean, I was like, I was uh, 
too, too busy watching uh, Tokyo Mew Mew, whatever the real name for that is. That's the dub version anyway. Jesus. All um, right. That was my what? generation's one. I'm a Zoomer, so. Yeah. Why don't you just shout the word video and then I'll have her say games. <laughs> That's really good, actually. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. We're doing this. All right. Ready? Yeah. Count me down. Three, two, one. Video. Games. All right. There we are. We're in. Um, it is... It is five days later. Um, I am now, by the way, um, aware that I do and did have COVID for the beginning part of recording this. Oh, goddamn. Uh, Still trapped in my home. Um, The closest I've gotten to human contact face-to-face is like putting on a mask and going through the Sonic drive-thru for ice cream. So... What kind of anniversary episode would it be without COVID at this point? Yeah, absolutely. Because this was a this was indirectly sort of a creation of COVID, right? True, um, true. I started doing this in July 2020. So I was like, I, I actually, the thing I was doing before COVID ended was like, I used to do um, like improv, like I got paid for it as like a professional comedian, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously that had to stop once COVID started. And I had to like figure out a new thing to do so I didn't lose my mind. So mm. uh, this was it. Been a fun pastime. Uh, yeah, glad you brought me in. Yay. Um, yeah. Uh, but anyway, so Alyssa, we did our first part of this episode on the invention of the first video game. <gasps> oh, okay, which what was the first video game? It was Tennis for Two, um, Tennis which for a two. lot of people. Um, mistakenly call that Pong, which it did become Pong eventually. Oh, I see. Um, but when it was created, it was only it only existed in, in 1958 for two years in a, a museum exhibit that huh. people could come and play. Yeah. And do you know something very cool? Is that video games haven't changed at all because the guy who created the first video game was also a was a physicist who. Uh, worked on the Manhattan Project and created the atomic bomb. So was so, this like project a result of the Manhattan Project, or was this no, like a it was side just, quest for him, like a side project? Well, this was 1958, so he had already finished the Manhattan Project had already been completed. Oh, okay, got you. Got the you. bombs had been dropped, and after that, he went on to work uh, on research, phys- uh, re- researching physics in a uh, at MIT, I believe, and uh-huh. then. Uh, eventually he had an idea to make an interactive exhibit um, for uh, people to learn about uh, cathode tubes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And um, it turned out people just liked having fun and he didn't understand. <laughs> I think the point that I'm getting at though, is that the first gamer ever was a war criminal. Well, and I mean, I feel like it makes sense that a lot of the video game industry is uh it also plays into the military industrial complex. So it makes sense to me that <laughs> somebody with like military slash weapons experience was the one who created the first video game. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Well, uh, but what I, I, I want to look at how far we've come. So <laughs> today, um, what I've done is uh, I think I'm going to get a few of them here. I've, I've asked for people to send in little... Um, I guess like a paragraph about a specific video game that has like impacted them in a real tangible way. It like impacted their and changed their life in some way. And that could be, Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of people as simple as um, like I was, I played this game with this person and it helped form a like relationship with them of some kind or Uh like 
you know, I was really depressed and this game really helped me, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. But just, I, I want to look at like the ways that like games have made like a tangible impact on, on people's lives. So oh, for sure. Yeah. We're just going to kind of read through these and I figure we can kind of just like alternate it and then we'll, we'll end by, by talking about our own things. Um, okay. Sounds good so, to me. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm really well, excited to read these. Yeah. I haven't actually read through them yet. Cause I want to, I want to do some reactions live. Um, so from MXA Ghost, um, his Batman Arkham Asylum says, I avoided most of the hype around this game until I saw it at the local GameStop TV. I did a bit of research and decided to go all in, but there was a problem. I had a PS2, but the game was only on PS3. While I was on a search for a deal, I pre-ordered the collector's edition of the game. A few months later, I picked up the game. The Bat logo box and contents were amazing. I looked through it all and I was in love. Still, I could not play it. No system, so I tucked it in my bottom sock drawer. Six months later, I found a deal on the PS3 and I bought it. All in all, waiting 10 months made that game sweeter, even if it was only on a 13-inch standard definition TV screen. Oh, God. Okay. Well, I mean, that certainly shows dedication to the game prior to even playing it. To the craft. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so many Batman stands out there. And also, the, I mean, all the ba- I mean, all the Batman games that I've seen look pretty dope. And I, I there's like video, there's clips I definitely have seen with like mods for Batman and Cat or Catwoman. I think, and is this? I don't know if that's the same game. Um, it's in it's in one of the games in this series, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah. I, I love how people <laughs> meme the fuck out of that scene. Um, <laughs> I what what this for me triggered was remembering walking past in like the the good old days, like I guess the early two thousands, like walking past a GameStop and they had like TVs facing outwards, like showing trailers for games yeah. and stuff. And like, um, just like running in there. Oh, you know what? This actually mm-hmm. triggered a very specific memory for me when I oh, was God. in, um, um, back in actually. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how well, you know, Greenville. Did you, you didn't live there super long. Did you? I mean, I was there for three years. Yeah. You know where Michael's is on the- Haywood? Yes, yes. Yeah, so in that complex, there used to be an EB Games, back when EB Games existed. Um, Never even heard of it, to be honest. (laughs) Really? EB Games got bought by GameStop, um, Uh, and, like, I want to say it was, like, 2000, 2001 or something, so I was, like, really young, but mm -hmm. I remember, like, seeing an EB Games there and walking past it, and they were showing, like, uh, Smash Bros. Melee, like, on the screen. Like, obviously, I was, like, like, I knew Smash Bros. 64. I had that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this was the first time I was seeing it moving. Because, like, I'd seen it in the magazine or whatever. Like, uh, Nintendo Power. Yeah. But, like, I remember I was walking past that. I don't remember where we were going. But, like, and I just, like, was, like, glued to the window. Just, like, watching watching the game happen. And was, like, <laughs> losing my goddamn mind. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. Like, I, I wish I had, like fonder memories of video games when I was young it was just I didn't get super super into them until I was older but I mean like I still had obviously still had my experiences with like I don't know like yeah. Sim Tycoon or Sims or whatever it was that I picked up when I was young and then uh changed when I, but, yeah when I was younger like I I really only had Nintendo consoles my whole life until I was until after college I guess when I bought my own when I like I bought a PlayStation in 2016 I guess Mm-hmm. Um, that was the first like non Nintendo console I had. Um, 
like but, buying um, things in person was just like not something that I did as much anymore after I started gaming. Like especially like fair. with Steam and like digital, like being able to buy things digitally. Like I never. Yeah. Well, it's not to say I've never been in a GameStop. Just like I don't know. Um. All right. You want to get the next one? Yeah, I'll do the next one. This one is from Shaz. They said, Spirit Fair made me accept the fact of death, learn the importance of letting go, and to cherish the little moments of the day-to-day and those or with those around me. Ooh, that's deep. Um, a few years ago, I went through many months with the crippling fear of death looming over my head from the moment I woke up. Multiple tragedies had hit close to home, and health had become something that I would constantly worry about, both of my own and of those close to me. My heart would race whenever a family member would travel or each time I would cross the street. Even though I knew so much of this fear was irrational, it didn't matter. Then I came across two things, a movie and a video game. The movie was one of the earliest works of Studio Ghibli, Grave of the Fireflies. The game... The, I forgot you had yeah, the Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I need to remember to mute this while I'm, like, reading somebody's, like, <laughs> heartfelt, like, summary of, like, one of their favorite video games. Um, the game was Spiritfarer. Through art... Or though art should never substitute actual therapy, it was an, it was incredibly therapeutic, and that's what these two titles were for me. Though vastly different pieces of work, where the former is gut wrenching and the latter carries with it so much warmth, they both taught me that death is a part of our daily lives, not only in terms of our own morality, but it's literally around us every second, whether we see it or not. And though that thought can be incredibly unnerving, there's also an odd sense of peace that comes with it. Gustav, one of my favorite characters from the game, said these last words that still stick with me. Everything is but a meaningless arrangement of atoms. Everything you've ever known, seen, or experienced. Fortuitous circumstances. In the universal chaos, humanity has emerged. Not a tiny bit more purposeful than the rest, but with an incredible faculty. That, a, that of creating meaning, however fleeting it might be. And that creation of meaning in the day-to-day, in the little moments with those you love, is far more powerful powerful than the inevitability of death itself oh god i'm gonna cry that shit hit me hard dude it's very poetically written but like yeah i oh my god (laughs) you know like it's weird that when like first of all grave of the fireflies which has a reputation for being the saddest movie ever made is definitely the saddest movie ever made Um, i've actually never seen it which um, is weird i I love studio ghibli yeah it is it was their second movie they ever made um it is it is old um i would recommend it but i would also recommend having like an emotional support person with you for it yeah this already looks like extremely tragic it's kind of like about the it's it's the part of the war that no one ever wants to or no one ever finds like sexy enough to talk about which is like how the um how the war stops like it's like the the effects of the war on the average citizen like after mm-hmm. the war like um the the this losses world war II, or... yeah this is world war Two. Okay. like the losses of supplies the losses of soldiers and stuff like that just on daily life in a town yeah. and following this brother and sister as they are alone basically after after the war yeah it's really fucking Oh man. Anyway, I'll but, have to watch it at some point and subject yeah. myself to this pain. <laughs> oh god. But um uh, yeah, but um the yeah, I I um this the that that quote about like that everything is just atoms. Like I I love that concept a lot cuz like it is it is really crazy when you think about it. Like if you want to talk about it in like a maybe it's 
uh, maybe it's a generic stars. sense, but like, you know, we're all just like explosions of stardust that happen to end up in the same place. Mm. Um, I've, I've yeah. definitely heard that quote before, not even having played the game. And like that, like, like very deeply affects me for sure. Um, I think like I've always had very deep existential dread. Like I'm, I've always been afraid of what happens like after we're gone. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Like, I, I don't know if it's selfish to think like I want something to be left of me like after death, but that's always been something I'm really afraid of. And I think the idea and like being able to like understand that regardless of what happens next, like I'm still connected to I guess like everything around us in that we all are just like an arrangement of atoms or stardust or whatever. And I mean, it's, I don't know. It's hard to take yourself out of that like experience being such a small part of it. Yeah. And it makes me feel a lot more comforted, I guess. And that I may eventually be gone forever or like, at least like this part of me may eventually be gone forever. Yeah. I think that I've, I've had to over time kind of accept that like there is beauty in the fleeting nature of it yeah like the fact that it's not forever is a part of what makes it beautiful mm-hmm. but um <coughs> oh no it's another it's just another like it's a good summary and a good like statement towards like how video games are able to touch people's lives in so many different ways like it is yeah. just a reflection of like our humanity in whatever like like whatever aspects it wants to bring through or like bring in its story. So I think that that's a really awesome thing to have experienced was to like find such profound comfort in a game like this. Yeah. Um, from Kyle, I don't know if mine is going to be kind of lame, but if I were going to pick a game that had a pretty large impact on me, I would pick Sonic the Hedgehog 2. And I'm not even talking about playing it. When I was a kid, one of the things that was just like a Saturday morning thing was waking up at like 6 a.m. and going to the living room to watch my brother play Sonic until our parents woke up. <coughs> we were both kids, so probably took <coughs> Ellie no. <coughs> Ellie's sending you into a car. <coughs> she did this to me. Hold on. <coughs> oh, Ellie. <coughs> oh, my God. I'm basically at the point where like. I think there's just a lot of mucus left in me, and it's got to get out. Yeah, just uh. cough it all up. That's all you got to do. Just get it out. Um, we were both kids, so we probably took a lot longer than ne- needed to, except the game is also hard as fuck. That's true. But I have an almost crystal clear memory of him finally beating it, and it was just pure excitement. I feel like this has had a pretty big impact on me enjoying really obnoxiously difficult games, even though I suck at them, because finally breaking through just takes me back to my childhood. And going insane over my brother finally beating Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Oh, that's sweet. That's, yeah, um, I know Kyle's a IRL friend of mine. He's He loves the like Dark Souls games and stuff like that. So I see mm-hmm. where that came from. <laughs> definitely, definitely makes sense. Um, all right, so next one is from Kate. They say, midway through my senior year of college, subsisting on coffee and not enough sleep, I'm absolutely losing steam on my undergrad thesis. My advisor is starting to give me these worried looks, and I end up complaining to my friends over late night scrambled eggs. I need a piece of media that has this particular kind of mystery uh, with that exact kind of antagonist and the police play this specific role. 
feel like that's very specific. And my friend goes, well, there's this game called Persona 4. And long story short, this game saved my thesis. <laughs> then a year later, I'm in Japan and make so many new friends from this game. And some of us even take these cramped overnight buses and super slow local trains out in the middle of nowhere to go to the town where the game is set and down to Tokyo to see the stage the stage show where one of the actors comes into the audience to talk to me and I temporarily forget every word of Japanese I ever knew and make an absolute fool of myself in front of hundreds of people. So yeah, I guess Persona 4 has had a really <laughs> big impact on my life, question mark. Huh. <laughs> That's really cute. I like that. Yeah. I, I mean, like... I don't think I got to use video games in any of my college stuff, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, like, they, to me, like, in college, I feel like they were more of a deterrent to me in a lot of ways. So, like, it's, it's kind of, I think it's great that, like, having that as a, maybe as an outlet or, like, something that they could use to maybe distract themselves enough to, like, get them to focus a certain, that's the only, that's the only thing I can think of, like, with a video game like that, because I don't know anything about Persona 4, to be honest. Uh, it's, uh, so it's, it's like a small town murder mystery, is the story, and it's, um, it's like this small village in the Japanese countryside, like, there's, like, maybe a couple thousand people at most, and you're, um, people just start, like, you know, dying mysteriously when this fog sweeps over the town, and, Mm -hmm. um, it all seems to be connected to the TV station and your uh, protagonists um, are just some teens who get accidentally roped into the whole thing and um, find that there is another world that they can access from inside the TV. Okay. (coughs) I'm going to get a cough drop. (coughs) No, you're good. (coughs) Take care of yourself, please. No. (laughs) Um, yeah, actually, just do the next one too. Yeah, I'm, I was gonna I'm say gonna I can read up. through these if you need to like for it. take a take a break with your voice. Um, I want I want to know what Kate's uh, undergrad thesis was because I'm thinking that's like maybe criminal. Like the only thing I can think of would be like criminal studies or something. Anyway, so next one is from Nexus zero five one. Uh, the game that had the most profound impact on my life growing up would have had to have been RuneScape. I was in maybe second or third grade when my older cousin introduced me to the classic MMO. It was my first experience with a massively online digital world, seamless, no loading screens, and a whole lot of adventures. As a kid growing up in a rural rural Floridian town, this blasted my imagination into whole new realms and social realities. Even if I spent my first few years with this game in Lumbridge and its surrounding farms, only rarely venturing into the lands beyond, all these years later, I still play and still explore the world of RuneScape and all it has to offer. No game has ever felt so massive, exciting, social, or addictive since RuneScape. Oh. I love I love that. <laughs> RuneScape was such a weird little thing because, like, I knew so many people that were, like, so into it. And, mm-hmm. like, I played a little bit of it and I, I never really got into it, I guess. But... Same. I used to I used to go to a friend's house, uh, I think like in sixth or seventh grade, and I would watch her play RuneScape. Like I would sit and watch her play and like talk to her and like like just kind of just like have that as like a bonding thing that like I wasn't really the one being taking an active part in. So I mean like I didn't get the game. I tried to pick it up and didn't understand it myself, but I mean I think that's a really awesome like experience, at least in that like it's still it's still going. That is the insane thing to me is that RuneScape is still being updated. <laughs> yeah, it's like there's a classic version too that's still pretty popular. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see here. 
Um, all right, I can do this. <laughs> From uh, Nima. The first time I experienced the true impact of video games was when I was like seven years old. I got sick with a bad case of the flu and I had to stay home for almost a whole month. What's that like? My parents remember this as a harsh experience, but for me, it was a month of staying in bed with the TV and my Sega Genesis brought to my room and I played Tiny Toons and Sonic the whole time. Oh my goodness. (laughs) These games helped me get through a challenging time and all I remember now are these good memories. Video games have done this for me time and time again over the years, and when the pandemic hit, it was almost like deja vu. I got to stay home, play video games all day, and write about them. That, like, was, like, the, like, as awful as the pandemic was, I think it brought back, um, like, or not even brought back, just created a much larger space for video games and enjoying it. Like, it really kicked up streaming, it really kicked up, like, online gaming, like, online multiplayers, like, basically just getting back in... Or not back into it, but I don't know. It just brought a whole new like, group of people. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Scene. Like, I I have like three or four friends that like very rarely ever played video games before, and like when the pandemic started, they somehow within a month ended up with a Switch and Animal Crossing. Yep. yep. And <laughs> you know that's a ga- it's a gateway game, right? And then after yeah. that, they're like, oh man, there's so many other kinds of video games. Like they're not. I think that's the thing is that like a lot of people like look at video games as a whole unit and think they're all like just the games that you play Alyssa. Yeah. Which <laughs> or, <are> shooters. <laughs> they're like multiplayer shooters, but like, there's so much, there's so many things out there that there is something for everybody. And I'm, yeah. I'm glad that like people are able to find that kind of thing for them. Like, and if, if the thing that you love is just like life Sims and stuff, like that's awesome. There's plenty yeah. of those out there too. And, and fuck people who say life Sims are not, like, people who play Life Sims are not actual gamers. Fuck y'all. <laughs> yeah. Mark on. Uh, all right. So next is from Pika Greg. For me, it was definitely Final Fantasy 11. <laughs> <laughs> That's 11, right? It is 11. Okay. You, you do know your Roman numerals. I was, I was terrified. I forgot my Roman numerals. Um, something about games from back then is just different. Final Fantasy XI was rough, but it helped bring communities together from all over the world before a lot of games did. It had an auto-translate feature, and you had people grouping up that couldn't talk to each other, but could communicate with this feature. It had been almost twenty near. It has been almost twenty years now, and I am still friends with a lot of people I knew from Final Fantasy XI. And anytime I meet other Final Fantasy XI players, there is this connection of understanding, since we all went through the same BS together. <laughs> the game had a lot of Japanese players and taught a lot of us about politeness compared to other games. And it was also the first thing that taught me about time zones. And so many of our friends were just different parts of the world. Oh God, I feel that. Uh, so many games are region-based now, and it's something you just don't see happen as much these days. That does fucking suck when you're playing online games now, is if you're playing a shooter, it's most likely region-locked, because yeah. ping is just like <clears throat> such an important part of the game. But if it's bad, they don't want you playing with people that are not in your region. So that sucks. That does, that, suck. That does suck, at least in that like regard. But I'm glad that like this was a game where they were able to like connect with other people. Yeah. So Final Fantasy XI, just so you know, was... Uh, I'm going to say it was one of the first online games on console because mm-hmm. um, it was on the PS2. <laughs> okay. And I don't think most people know that the PS2 had online capabilities. Um, I didn't. Certainly did not know. It, you could, it was Ethernet, obviously, only, but only like five or six games were able to use it. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, it's... Um, 
I can't even imagine playing online games when I was like a kid. Like I <laughs> Same. <coughs> Weren't you like trapped in Club Penguin? <laughs> Club Penguin doesn't like to me that didn't feel like a real I don't well, I mean Club Penguin, Webkins, all that shit. That didn't feel like real online gaming, like the way that I understand. You heard it now. here first. You're not a real gamer. <laughs> no, but I was like ten or eleven when I was playing those games, so I didn't like consider it like gaming. Um Axel has sent, um, it's hard to pick one game mainly because when you're as old as I am and have played as many as I have, you've seen a lot of stuff which has made an impact on your life in one way or another. Having said that, the one that comes to mind immediately as being the most impactful would have to be Diablo 3. This was in its original iteration back on PC. It was for a review assignment back when I wrote for the Armchair Empire, now sadly defunct. I played through, wrote up the review, and I submitted it right before E3 that year. It was the only negative critic review of on Metacritic for that game. Oh God! <laughs> and yeah, I caught some hell from it for the uh, for from the fanboys, but I also caught a lot more thanks from players who were feeling the same discontent I did, because every other major outlet and a lot of the minor ones were giving it ridiculously high scores and praise, even when they acknowledged the same problems I'd pointed out. I'd also argue Diablo Three was the start of the downward spiral for Blizzard, and it was the game which led to the moment where I actually started to feel like I could make a difference as a writer. Oh. That's kind of interesting. I hadn't yeah. thought of that. Um, yeah. I don't think I've ever been that that reviewer yet. I have a few times been the one positive review among 5,000 ba- uh, negative ones. Mm-hmm. By the way, I still do hold the record. Um <laughs> For uh, don't not don't nods game uh, twin mirror, I I gave it the highest review score of any outlet in the world. Um, oh damn! Okay, which was an eight. So okay, <laughs> so still not like it's got uh... like a fifty something on Metacritic. <laughs> oh god, poor game. <laughs> I liked it. Sorry. Yeah. Well, that's not. I'm not saying you were wrong. <laughs> I'm just yeah. gonna poor game. Um. Uh. Yeah, but I mean that shows like dis- like it displays passion towards yeah a certain kind of game to be willing to give it a negative review if it was something that you had high hopes for. Yeah, I'll move on to the next one. The next one is from Frosty, and they say, "I know I'm not following the prompt, but I think I do have a comment. As an art for or as an art form, games really can be the next step forward when done well. Music comes to mind for me, where words fail, music speaks." Music is the literature of the heart. It commences where speech ends. I like beautiful melodies telling me terrible things. Obviously, they use music as a tool, but when crafted exceptionally, games can take it one step further. They teach, they show, they make you feel something. Everyone is going to have their personal favorite song that reminds them of a time or place or person, and all of them are right. Comforting, scary, exciting, sad, it's all just taste. I choose melancholy as my preferred flavor. Big Boss saluting the grave of his mentor in MGS3. Yuna whistling into the empty horizon in Final Fantasy X. Abandoning your weapon to save Zulf in Bastion and all of your enemies standing down to watch you go. They beat any moment in a movie because they happened to me. Wow, that was... That's that's so good. That's such a good... good. (laughs) They beat any moment in a movie, movie because they actually happened to me. That is That is a perfect... Summary is, for- yeah, that is that's exactly right. I like, <laughs> I totally get what you mean though. Like, um, I think some of the um, 
some some games like the the music though like i i agree it's like it does way more work than like any amount of words or like even like gameplay could and it's like uh, i think the one that like um undertale is one that like i think for that really means a lot for me like i that game made me extremely emotional and it is fantastic um, Undertale is one of the one of the best video games I've played, and I, I, I and that's just I don't play a lot of like narrative based games. <laughs> yeah, um, but I like from oh no, go ahead. No, it's all right. For I guess like in terms of like video games with music having a profound impact, Hades was like my absolute favorite. The music in Hades, like it still like gives me chills. Like especially um, what is it? Is it? What's her, is it Eurydice? Oh, no. Eurid- yeah, Eurydice. Eurydice and uh, Orpheus, her? right? Orpheus, yeah. Their their music, like the songs that those two like sing to each other, are just not even sing to each other. Like they play, they sing them separately and then melt like uh, they bring it together as a melody, and it's just yeah. it's so beautiful. Ugh. Um, <clears throat> on that note, Darren Korb, who has done the music for all of Super Giants games, um. Bastion, Transistor, Pyre, and Hades is one of the most talented musicians in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, Transistor is maybe my favorite game soundtrack of all time. Also, mm-hmm. like, I um, I think the melancholy feeling in that is captured so well. It's like watching the end of the world is kind of the theme of that game. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's just condensed so well in that. And it, it uh, ugh. anyway. Um <laughs> So um, next we have <clears throat> from FSM. It might be a little weird to think that some of the strongest relationships in your life could be formed over a video game with people you've never met, but that is how it started out with my best friends over Halo 3. Halo 3 released when I was in middle school, and almost every night we'd spend at least an hour playing some custom games or matchmaking. Over the years, we'd play more games with each other online, but Halo was always an easy pick, and it carried a sense of nostalgia. We all grew up together, and since then I've met all of my Halo buddies in person. This past oh. year, I even attended one of their weddings as his best man. It's <laughs> so cute. Oh my god! That's okay, awesome. so I think friend making friends like on online games is something that like really, like I mean, it's it's impacted me in a lot of different ways. Like I have friends that I still talk to from Overwatch that I've played, like that I don't even play with anymore that I just keep up with. But like we played together for years and like still keep in contact and then there's also like the aspect of like fleeting friendships that like I don't really like people I don't really keep in contact with that I still like have such like a good feeling like thinking about the friendships that I made even if we're not like still close I guess if that makes sense no that that does make sense like I mean I I um for me, I think the the relation to this is is my Dungeons and Dragons group of people who I met online and mm-hmm. who are some of my best friends now, like in real life. You know, like Kyle from earlier is one of those people. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you know, we play online over like Roll Twenty. We've been our group has been going for we're getting close to seven years now. Oh god, <laughs> such a long time. That's insane. Yeah. Um, so for sure. Um, let's see what the next one is yes. Corey. Yes. The next one is Corey. They say for your podcast, Wind Waker is my influential game. 
Preceding it was a link to the past, uh, Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask, etc., all of which had similar importance. I grew up playing uh, SNES and Nintendo. Oh, okay. So Nintendo 64 games with my dad, who loved the Zelda franchise. But sitting down at night to play Wind Waker was different. It was a nightly event for all of us to sit down and play through the game as a family, even though I was entering that difficult teenage phase. On top of that, the creative direction and art style further pushed me towards my career as a traditional animator and illustrator. Oh, I love that. Oh, I, I love that. I never had that sensation of like sitting down with a family to play games. I think the only like thing that I had similarly was with the Wii. We used to sit and play like Wii right. Sports. And like that's, that was that's the good thing. Say. It's like that was a way that you could connect with your family because it was like, I guess like something that like everybody could connect to. Yeah. Regardless like, of whether or not they wanted to like. I've said it a few times. I'm pretty sure the only video game my mom ever played with us was Wii Tennis, but we played it like a lot. <laughs> Yeah, we did Wii Bowling. Um, yeah, it's 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 good. I'm I'm glad that happened. Um, let's see. <coughs> From Neron, Celeste will always be a very important game to me because of what it did for me when I first played it. All the time I was at the time I was still in high school and I wasn't doing particularly well mentally, but I had no idea why or what was going on with me, which just made it worse. When I played Celeste and I recognized a lot of myself in Madeline and her struggle with anxiety, specifically social anxiety in my case, and depression, and it ended up being the thing that led me to start taking care of my mental health. A little later, I was also officially diagnosed with said thing, so this wasn't exactly self-diagnosis type thing, but a realization that this might be why I felt the way I did. There's one scene in particular when Theo tells Madeline about his sister that really gets to me every time I replay the game. And even though I know... And even now, I still feel like Celeste is one of the best representations of what it's like to live with anxiety and depression in any medium. 100%. I need to play that one then, too, because that's just my life. (laughs) Um, Celeste had a similar effect on me, and it's it's a 10 out of 10 game for me. It's one of the best games of all time. And Mm -hmm. I played it a little differently than I think a lot of people because I... um, I played it, like, for 10 to 15 minutes a night, every night, like, on my Switch. Like, I would just pick mm-hmm. it up, play through a few rooms, and then go to sleep. Yeah. But because I did it that way, I somehow went to sleep every night feeling like I had made progress in my real life. <laughs> and That's fair. I mean, the theme of the game is that, like, it's about climbing the mountain. It's not about getting to the top. Mm-hmm. It's about continuing to climb no matter how far you fall or get set back. I think that and makes the, that very digestible. Like, for it sure. is. And like, <clears throat> it also carries with it this very powerful idea of like, the only, it's, it's hard. It's such a hard act to balance and which is why it's so phenomenal that it did it. But like, not only is the person most in your way, you, but the toxic part of you is part of you. Mm-hmm. It is not something that you can ignore or throw away. The part of you that is dragging you down is also a part of you. Yeah. And to 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 try to toss it away is running away from your problems. Like so like just the the act of like this is the bad part of me. Mm-hmm. It is holding me back, but it is a part of me and I will embrace it for that. So like the game is like basically shadow work, which I think is very 
that, that is basically the concept of shadow work is working with the bad parts of yourself acknowledging them and validating them but then yeah. also like being able to work with them yes yeah mm-hmm. and it's it's this perfect allegory i don't want to spoil how it ends but like it's it's just it's perfectly done in a gameplay way mm-hmm. um i i recommend that game uh to everybody everybody everywhere um can we get the next one yep. there it is yep. next one is from Zana. is that right Zana. Zana. okay the first game I've ever played, River City Ransom 1989. <laughs> when I was very young, perhaps around six, my dad introduced my sister and I to this game on the NES uh, called River City Ransom. Not only is this game amazing to play, but what really made me like it was the fact that it brought my family closer together. Of course, I never really was good at that game and would always depend on my dad or sister to pull through, but I felt a sense of accomplishment by being there for them. As for the gameplay, I absolutely loved entering the towns and going into shops, which started the love of having the feature in, a g- in other games. There is the, or there is this one shop in particular that was one of the best parts of the game, Murr's Burger Joint. The reason being, you can order a smile for free. If I was having a bad day, I would find myself playing this game just to order a smile so that I would smile as well. 18 years later, I was still playing this game every once in a while. Uh, I may be getting older, but this game never will. Oh, that is very good. That's sweet. I want to smile one day. <laughs> one day. One day we'll get our <laughs> smiles. <laughs> smiles are not free. <laughs> not in this world. Not in this capitalist society. No. Um, and then the last one we have here is from Alex. Above all else, I play games to get sucked into an engrossing world. Gameplay mechanics alone won't win me over. I've got to want to just hang out in the game's levels, and Banjo-Kazooie was one of the first games to really do that for me. When I was nine, life had been pretty miserable until we moved in with my grandparents for a while. My uncles had an N64, and Banjo was one of the first console games I ever beat. I got absolutely engrossed in Grunty's lair, and hiding away from my parents in grandma's basement playing Banjo was literally the happiest I've ever been. Uh, The charm of the levels moves characters and especially the music were like a warm comforting security blanket that i had never had for whatever reason banjo made me feel at peace for the first time in my life i love that big dumb bear that is good that's comforting man i like i understand the childhood turmoil thing i had that too um things were like rough in the old household um but yeah, I think um, – <coughs> actually, I'll, I'll talk about that in my thing now. But, yeah, so what – Alyssa, what do you want to talk about for yours? Um, I feel like it's always going to go back to Overwatch for me. <laughs> go for it. Cause, yeah, because, I mean, like, for me, like, the most impactful game in my life was Overwatch. And, like, as much as I hate Blizzard right now and feel very conflicted about Overwatch 2, Overwatch just brought a lot of, like, really great people into my life and – provided like different I guess like avenues of for one meeting people and then just like having something to wind me down at the end of the day and like feel like I was I don't know like a part of a community that would just like felt very great to be in at the time like at its height and like as far as video games went like I didn't have that many toxic like experiences in that game like a lot of online other online go- online multiplayers are and i don't know i i just the characters are all still like very like 
endearing to me and the world the world that they're set in is just very not idyllic because of the war and like they're having with these robots or with the omnics but like it's still just i don't know it brought a lot of joy in my life in a lot of different ways not just even in playing the game and i don't think i'll ever like forget like what i got from overwatch and it was like my first big game to be fair i think it was the first game i put like 2000 hours into it was I put a lot of time into that game. I put a thousand hours into Overwatch and I thought I was like hot shit, but I guess <laughs> not. <laughs> um, no, I, I like that game also did a lot for me because I was like, but that was when I was living in Kentucky and my whole life was like really shitty and I had no friends and like I literally the only blink of happiness in my day was like going home to play overwatch for a few hours at the end of the day. Same. When I started playing, it was the same. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I did make some friends in there. They have all disappeared since, but I remember them. <laughs> <laughs> I still talk to quite a few of the people that I played with and like, there's still people I talk like, like, probably five or six people. I still talk to consistently. That's really cool. That I played overwatch with them. and I just, I love them. And I'm very happy that Overwatch brought me to them. Um, <laughs> uh, so I guess my thing, um, I have I have a few, but I think the one I wanted to talk about was uh, Pokemon Blue, because Pokemon Blue was the first video game I ever played. And it was also the first one I beat when I was in daycare, like I was like three years old or something or four. And... Mm. My first memory as a child is this memory, actually, um, of being in daycare and seeing some kid bring in his Game Boy mm-hmm. and showing it to us. And he was fighting Brock. And he and like I remember seeing Onyx like appear on the screen. And I don't know why that moment has stuck with me my whole life. Like seeing this Pokemon appear and like these these monsters in the, in this little game and like i was like i have to have this like I, I have to know about it and i went home and i like you know begged my dad to get me a, a game boy and, and pokemon and he did and i um so like i said i have like a kind of tumultuous childhood right because like mm-hmm. as far as moving around so what what, what our schedule was was that my mom worked crazy long hours because she was a single mom and she worked very late, usually mm-hmm. every day on the weekdays. So um, our schedule to see our dad um, was like we saw him on Wednesday nights and then like every other weekend we would go to his house. Um, but during the day, my grandparents would take care of us at their place. Um, so like my mom would drop us off to school in the morning my grandma would come pick us up and take care of us for the rest of the day. And like, we would be there all day until like nine o'clock or something when mm-hmm. my mom was able to come get us and take us home. And then we would do that again the next day. Yeah. And then every other weekend we would be at my, my dad's house, like I said. Um, so I think a lot of the pl- time I didn't really feel like I had like a specific place I pointed to as home. Does that make sense? Yeah. My, uh, my grandmother's ho- house which she still is in, by the way. My grandparents' house has always been, like, my childhood home. That's where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, anyway, like, having this little Game Boy with me <laughs> and, like, my little Pokemon that could 
come around with me mm-hmm. made way more of a difference than I realized at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, like my Blastoise, whose name was Blue, by the way. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a child name to give I know. you your Pokemon, and I love it. Um, like this was my buddy, and like the two of us fought our way across you know, uh, across Kanto and became the Pokemon League champions and everything. And I I was like fucking four years old. And I still remember this sense of a like true accomplishment and Mm -hmm. the comfort of having my, my buddy Blastoise with me wherever I went, because I was always running around to these different places. And it, I don't know, it like really meant a lot to me um, to have it around. So and it also, of course, was the first video game I played. It made me, like, fall in love with the idea of video games, even. Like, yeah. Um, and I'm I'm just, like, not ever going to forget that experience of, like, I still remember, like, the screen of, like, when I was fighting Gary at the end of the Elite Four and, like, my Blastoise using Ice Beam and, and beating his last Pokemon. And, like, mm-hmm. it's... Um, it's just like something that has stuck with me forever. And I don't know, I, I, I really treasure that. And I hope other people like, you know, have, you know, had experiences like that. And I see that they have, and that's nice. Yeah. I'm glad that it was such a good companion game for you. Like it was gen- like genuinely a companion. It like, really was. Like, I don't think I realized it at the time, how important it was that it could move around with me, but it was very yeah. important. Um, I just know it's probably what Webkins was for me. <laughs> No. That's exactly what Webkins was for me. <laughs> I was never like super into Pokemon, but Webkins was similar. And I think that's kind of what Webkins was going for, to be honest. Yeah, I guess you could. <laughs> I guess the Webkins itself was portable. It was. It all- <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Okay, well, I guess I'll wrap it up for us. So thank you guys for listening. Um, it ended up being a little we bit are, longer than we expected. Yeah, it's okay. We we um good to reminisce. Let's see. Yeah, we're we're getting right. We're right at about seven thousand total listens for all time. Hey, let's go. So thank you guys. That is fucking phenomenal for over two years. I feel like very happy with that. I also am like not a bajillion percent concerned with like getting a ton of listens or anything, but yeah. I like to know somebody's listening at least is all. <laughs> so. I mean, like it's, it's good. I mean, like this is regardless of whether or not this ever like really takes off. It's been a very fun experience and I'm yeah. I treasure it. I treasure this experience. It's, I mean, of course it's genuinely more for me than for listeners, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it can be, this is self gratifying and yeah. it's also just gives us a reason to talk about things that we like and we enjoy. So yeah. So thank you guys for listening and sharing and whatever else you do. Um, And, you know, I know a lot of people will just kind of like check the feed and be like, oh, I'm interested in this game. Let me listen. And like, that's great. That's exactly what I would do. (laughs) So (laughs) we have we have somewhat we have like 20 like every week listeners, though, which I'm surprised at even is that many. So one of them is probably me because I I listen. (laughs) I I do, too. So that's nice. So there's 19. (laughs) But um (laughs) Anyway, yeah, uh, we're um, I'm I'm excited to finally have figured out the format for the show that I like in <laughs> after fucking 100 episodes or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I I guess that's that's probably about it. So we'll we'll continue bringing the good games and stuff. I think next 
next week we are going to do um uh, an episode on on uh Yu-Gi-Oh, um which i'm very very sad about because the uh, the creator that kazuki takahashi just passed away mm-hmm. under weird circumstances he was only 61 he was 60 and they found him floating in the ocean off the coast yeah, I mean, seems likely it could have been like a heart attack or something, but it still like really sucks. Yeah, it sucks a lot. Um, but anyway, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh was huge for me growing up, and I'm I'm excited to celebrate his works. So we'll we'll be talking about that next week, and we will be back with you. Um, make sure to again like rate us on iTunes or Spotify or something, or leave reviews. Like I do see we have some nice reviews sometimes on iTunes, so thank you. Um, uh, there is one I hope troll review that oh, says like, "Oh God, video- what is it?" Oh, it's just like it's like one star, and it's like video games are for fucking babies and stuff. Oh, that's and I was mean. like, "Oh man!" I, act- I actually wrote that on that my, was you? Uh, my old iTunes account. Thank you. <laughs> it's doing good. It's doing wonders for our SEO. So if anyway, I even have one iTunes account. <laughs> yeah, I had to make a fucking iTunes account to have Apple TV. Fuck off, Apple. Yeah, it's funny. Um. Okay, so anyway, yes, thank you. And um, you can find us at, you know, GameLuster.com for the writings. And, of course, YouTube.com slash GameLuster is where my good videos are. Um, you can watch my Dino Summer adventures there. Um, oh, fuck, the new one's up. Um, <laughs> there's one. There should be one up for uh, Oakwood, which is a dinosaur horror game where you go to camp and there's a T-Rex there. Good. It sounds like <laughs> just the type of camp I want to go to. Yeah. Um, it made, so nauseous. it made me so nauseous. It made me so nauseous. The camera was so fucking awful. Oh, oh god. Okay. Um. Anyway, so yeah, check that out. And um, Alyssa, you're on the Twitch. I am still on the Twitch. I haven't streamed in two weeks because work has been the worst. But my hope is also reliable, stream. like clockwork. They say. Look, <laughs> you say that, but I worked like twenty hours of overtime last week. Um, yeah. Yeah, I will try and probably stream again this weekend. But you guys can find me at GoBallistic on Twitch.com. Yeah, and now you're rich from all the overtime. I am decently. I had a good paycheck this week. I am decently rich. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. um, Yeah, so thank you for the good videos and the good games. And I wish we... we still don't have like a like we need to like have a, a sign off phrase. It's been fucking two years. Yeah, I know. What I is, mean, I've only been here for one of it, so <laughs> you guys should have yeah. figured this out in the first year. <laughs> Maybe just make like a video game sound like I don't know. <laughs> what else <laughs> what <a> video game <laughs> sound like? Wink. <laughs> uh, well, if we're game busters, then we should be like a Ghostbusters outro. Okay, what does that mean to you? Um, to me, that would. Oh god, what are they saying? Ghostbusters? I don't know. My, my... <laughs> when there's something strange. My, my mouth in the was moving a lot faster than my brain was at that point. <laughs> Who are you gonna call? Yeah, Ghostbusters. I, w- I actually made that intro, and then I was worried about like legal troubles, and I, <laughs> did, I did not use it. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna just make a ghost sound to end it. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh!